You have to stop trying to grade what I've done in Ben's life. Ouch. Whether or not he will develop problems from his brain trauma, that doesn't make or break the miracle. You need to lean into this, lean into me, and learn from me. Lean and learn, lean and learn. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. And today we are bringing you a story from Katie Crawford, which has a pretty cool background. She lives in Birmingham and we have lots of mutual friends and she reached out wanting to share her story. And she lives in a different community than where we are in Vestavia. And we said, why don't you try and share your story in your community and let's see what God does. And so not only is Katie's story amazing, but by the end of their gathering, they had created their own Storytellers Live gathering. So you will be hearing stories from Homewood, Mm -hmm. Alabama, which is just a different suburb in Birmingham. And this is their very first one. I love Katie's story. She just walks us through her pregnancy that she had with her youngest child. It was a difficult delivery. It was a beautiful miracle story. But ultimately, she shares just her mother's heart. And I appreciated it so much. I got so much out of it, especially just the character of God and the importance of trusting Him. And so here's Katie's story. Before Katie's story, we wanted to welcome our new listeners. If you are new to Storytellers Live podcast, go to our website, storytellerslive.org, so that you can learn more about who we are and the communities that we're in. You can also purchase our Bible study, When God Shows Up, which is an eight-week podcast-based Bible study where we've taken eight of our podcast stories and connected them with God's Word and personal reflection. And it is great for a small group or to do alone. So go check it out today at storytellerslive.org. Here's Katie. I'm glad to be here today to tell my story. I was glad to write out my story. This exercise has been a real gift to me. Many of you will hear yourselves in this story because you were part of this story. Thank you for being a part. But even if you weren't, my hope and prayer is that you may find yourself in this story either way and that we can all learn something good and learn something new today. I have certainly learned new and good things as the Lord has prompted me to revisit this story. His story. So that's what I'm here to tell you today. To begin, I like to call this a brain story. You'll hear a lot about my son Ben and his brain trauma, but you'll also hear about my own brain, my thinking, processing, and ultimately you'll see that I'm learning to desire the brain God wants me to have, which is a mind full of trust and peace. So here's my brain story. My husband Drew and I have been married for almost 14 years. We have lived in Homewood for most of that time. We have four children, three older daughters, and our son, Ben. When we found out we were going to be having a fourth child, there was a lot of trepidation. We remembered the faces people made when they found out we were having a third girl. But when we learned he was a boy, we were beside ourselves. So excited, didn't truly believe it was possible. I spent a few too many hours studying the ultrasound images just to be sure. He was actually a boy and not a girl. (laughs) Love baby girls would have been fine with a fourth girl, but we knew having a boy would be so fun. Childbirth really meant a lot to me. My first baby was six weeks early, spent a good bit of time in the NICU, and was an emergency C-section. 
But my next two births had been exciting. <laughs> I went into labor on my own and was able to deliver them, one with no drugs. And those births were really redemptive. I knew the Lord had allowed those good stories in my life, and I really elevated them. They became part of who I was. When I was pregnant with Ben, I thought very often about his birth. I went to classes and research and or Googled and knew that I wanted to have a natural no-drug delivery again. That experience had made me feel on top of the world, and I was chasing that feeling. I didn't really loop the Lord into my plans, and I knew in my heart that birth plans usually get thrown out the window. I just didn't know how far out the window these would go. March 28, 2019 was a Thursday, beautiful day, middle of spring break. We all went to the zoo as a family that morning, had lunch together. I went on a walk, visited some friends. I remember telling Drew how great I felt. I was 36 weeks pregnant, and I hadn't felt so energized and comfortable all month. That evening, I was out with my mother-in-law. There is ring doorbell footage of me leaving my house. My belly is big, (laughs) and I appear normal. That picture so affirms to me that we just never know what lies ahead. In two hours' time, the picture was quite different. The start of this story isn't very dramatic. I simply remember bending over to pick something up, and when I stood back up, everything changed. Something started. A physical feeling, yes, but just a knowledge that something was beginning. The baby was stuck up under my ribs all of a sudden, and it hurt. I kept trying to push on him to maneuver him, and he was not reacting at all. I didn't want to alarm anyone, but minute by minute, the pain grew, so I decided to go home and put my feet up. Well, by the time I got to my car, I could hardly walk. I could hardly get in the car. So I called my mother-in-law, who I'd just been with, and I said, I think you need to drive me to my hospital. Having had multiple deliveries, it didn't feel like labor, but I knew right away something was amiss. I think the body can tell, and the pain was not right. The most concerning thing for me was that the baby wasn't moving. My mother-in-law got me quickly to the hospital. I was saying some prayers in the car for sure. When I walked into labor and delivery, I was barely functioning, but I said, you've got to help me. Something is wrong. The nurses led me into a room. They had to put on my hospital gown for me. I was not even able to do that. In the meantime, Drew's mom had called him, and he was so frazzled, he brought all three girls to the hospital, (laughs) barefoot. (laughs) When he came in, I told him, something is terribly wrong here. Thankfully, amazingly, when the nurse hooked me up to a monitor, they got Ben's heart rate. And it was good, normal, for a minute. Such a relief at that time. But my pain grew and grew. So much pressure in my stomach. Not long after the nurses got me situated, I had the most incredible pain. It was sort of like a contraction, but it kept building, going. I hollered out. I saw stars like in the cartoons. And during this time, I felt a big pop. That's when the nurse's eyes got really big. A doctor rushed into the room. Lights were flashing and alarms were going, and I looked over at the monitor, and now Ben's heart rate was gone. The doctor did a bedside ultrasound. He was so tender, he put his hand on my shoulder and called me sweetheart. I haven't forgotten him. And he said, sweetheart, your baby's heart is barely beating in there, and we need to go get him right away. 
He was so apologetic, preparing me, really. He turned to the nurse and he said, let's go, stat, 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 four times. Of course, after that, things got pretty wild. The time in the OR stands out as really difficult. And by the way, it's been a while and my baby still isn't moving. And now I've been told his heart is not beating. I literally had to lie there and wait and do nothing. Everyone else, lots of people in the room were working and prepping me. But it takes time to start surgery. Later, I explored Ben's medical records (laughs) and the timeline of all this. I wanted to know if I had tricked myself into thinking I lay there a long time but really hadn't. No. From the time we lost his heart rate to the time he was born was 14 minutes. 14 whole minutes. So I had to give myself a lot of grace when I learned that for 14 minutes I lay there like that knowing he was in big trouble. One thing the Lord worked out was my doctor being on call. She told me she's never on call on Thursdays, but this one Thursday, she happened to be there. And when she walked into the OR, I remembered that the Lord was in this. He was going to provide one way or another. Um, I began talking with him. What I said didn't come from me. I know it was spirit-led. I just told the Lord that no matter what, We were still going to praise him, that our family would still praise his name. I'm not sure why that was what he led me to say, but it was. And of course, I asked him to preserve my baby's life, and I was begging everyone in the room to help me and to get my baby out. I knew, too, that we were both likely in dangerous situations. I was feeling faint. Didn't know it at the time, but I was bleeding internally. So I asked someone to tell Drew, who was sitting outside the door, And to tell my girls that I loved them. And this man didn't argue with me. He just promised me that he would. Some quick backstory. When I was nine years old, I was in a major car accident. It left me hospitalized and completely bedridden for six weeks. That's a whole other story that I could talk about on another Storytellers. (laughs) But could you imagine when my kids say that they are bored? Sometimes I remind them that I didn't even leave the bed or the hospital for six weeks as a child. One thing that really stood out then and reminded me so much of Ben's story was this conversation with the Lord. I can still see the inside of that ambulance after the accident. And I remember calling out to God through my pain. I was embarrassed. I thought, if anybody hears me talking to God like this, I'm going to get in trouble. But I knew him, and I knew there was nothing else I could do but talk to him. I asked him, why this happened? Am I going to die? Will you help me? They weren't my words. They came from a place of desperation, but also a place of confidence, knowing that he heard. That was my first introduction to medical trauma, and it was a doozy. (laughs) Trauma is so hard and heavy, and I've definitely had some trauma in my life. But the Lord shows up in the trauma. He's near. And in that OR, when Ben was born, he was near. Ben was born via C-section at 8.41 p.m., March 28, 2019, while I was unconscious. I do not remember my baby being born, but somehow I'll never forget. It is an interesting conundrum. This next part is graphic, but I never like to downplay what happened to Ben because then God doesn't get the credit for turning it around. I want people to know the truth. When my doctor cut me open, she found the baby 
free floating in my abdominal cavity. Her words. That is just not supposed to happen. Your baby is supposed to be in your uterus, not in your gut. There is no life there. It is a catastrophic situation for baby and for mom. Baby is immediately cut off from life. Mom is usually losing lots of blood. It ended up that my uterus ruptured, broke open, all the way along a seven and a half year old C-section scar. Extremely rare for this to happen, especially when not in labor. None of the doctors that day had ever seen it. We don't know why, never will know why this happened. I've spared you some of the more vivid details, but with the rupture also came a full placental abruption, which is by itself a major emergency. So things were bad. Ben had no signs of life when he was born. He was in complete cardiac and respiratory arrest, meaning he was not breathing. His heart was not beating. He made no sound. A nurse told me later he failed every APGAR category and sure looked like it too. We don't know how long he was compromised before birth. At least 10 minutes, at most 20. But right away, a team of doctors and nurses began to work on Ben. I have the handwritten notes from that event. It is hard for me not to visually fill in the gaps of these moments. The notes go something like this. 841, baby out. 842, chest compressions. 843, no heart rate. 844, no heart rate. 845, chest compressions continued. 846, no heart rate. 847, no heart rate. But then, at 848 his heartbeat. It took seven minutes to resuscitate my baby. And by 849, his heart rate was pretty good and he was breathing with assistance. They rushed that little baby off to the NICU while his mama lay there, knocked out, oblivious. Amazingly, during this time, Ben was already covered in prayer. Drew had texted our good praying friends and family. Our mother-in-law was in the waiting room and some nurses and doctors told me later they had been praying the whole time too. The Lord's precious timing is not lost on me. The fact that my uterus ruptured after I got to the hospital is the game changer. One more red light on the drive over, and neither of us may be here to tell this tale. When I woke up in recovery, a doctor said, Your baby pinked up. I couldn't believe it. I expected to be told differently. That space and time could have gone either way probably more likely to have gone the other way. But my baby had survived and was apparently pink. Of course, I said, well, is he a boy? (laughs) Because I'm not a doctor, I thought, great, glad that's over with. But as you'll see, there was a catch. This was the first of several of those. Some advice, you do not want to have a C-section without having had an epidural first. I was knocked out, but I wasn't numb. So when I woke up, wham, I got lots of morphine in that first hour. But I was lucid, and I remember just about every detail of that time. Drew came in. He had a picture of the baby in the NICU. He was on a ventilator. He had actual boy parts, so that was good. (laughs) Drew went through so much. The doctors had pulled him aside and told him that his wife was doing okay, but they weren't sure that his baby boy would live. Was there someone he could call? NICU dads sometimes get forgotten, but they go through the ringer, and Drew certainly did. My doctor and a sweet, sweet nurse stayed with me forever, 
They prayed and talked truth with me, held my hand and cried with me. I think we were all just in shock. And this precious nurse, she continued to love on me in the days and weeks to come. More on her later, but if there ever was a definition of godsend, it was her. The neonatologist came in. I knew him. I remembered him from my daughter's birth years before. And I wanted to say, who invited you? (laughs) Wonderful doctor, so dedicated. But I was not ready to be a part of his world again. He said, your baby was without oxygen and blood flow for a long time. He was near death at birth, and we drew his blood, and well, his blood looked pretty near death, too. We had to take great measures to revive him, and now we're concerned about possible injury to his brain. I can see myself glaring at him, not being able to form words. He had to spell it out for me. He said, you were looking at everything from cerebral palsy to seizures to quality of life issues. He said, we don't have a lot of answers And we will just have to wait and see. He then explained that when a baby or adult is resuscitated, further injury can occur when the blood starts recirculating back to the brain. So they put Ben on something called the cooling mat. Basically, they got his body temperature very low, like a refrigerator. And that slowed his blood flow and it slowed down all of his bodily processes in order for him to heal. The first time I laid eyes on Ben was not the day of his birth, which makes me a little sad. It was 2 a.m. the next day. Somebody had told me I wasn't in good enough shape to go see him, and I had basically told them too bad. I'm going. (laughs) On this cooling mat, you weren't allowed to touch the baby or rouse the baby. No holding him, no feeds, and apparently the cooling is very painful for the baby. So he was heavily drugged with anti-seizure medication and fentanyl. Yes. The street drug opioid I'm sure we're all familiar with. The cooling mat days were heavy days. Between the prematurity, trauma, slow bodily processes, and all the drugs, we couldn't get a clear picture of Ben and what we were looking at. We got super excited when he wet his diaper and sucked a passy. Those were great signs. Other than that, those first several days, he didn't do a lot. And it was scary. We wondered all the time if he would sort of just remain in this state or if he would get better. The Lord was near and kind. We listened to a lot of praise music. I cried a lot, especially at night in my hospital bed. Again, I knew the only one who had a handle on what had gone down was Jesus. And I knew whatever was coming for Ben, he would equip us to handle it physically, mentally, and spiritually. I had a weird peace in spite of myself. When doctors decided to bring Ben's body temperature back up, we knew there were many risks. Seizures, complications with blood pressure and pulse. I was fearful. The Lord raised up so many supporters. Kids wore blue all throughout Homewood that day. Different people gathered and prayed. There was a 24-hour prayer sign-up. Guys from our Sunday school class came and circled around. We were saturated with hard and saturated with peace all at once. I can't believe it, but somehow I slept through the night as Ben was warming up. Thank you, God. Ben had a few hiccups, but never had a seizure, made it through, and did well. It was a major praise. Finally, we got to hold him. It wasn't even in the month of his birth. It was April 1st. But nobody jumped out from behind Ben's NICU crib and shouted, April Fools! 
Instead, we were having tests every time we turned around, namely a big MRI of his brain. We waited and waited to hear those results, and I don't remember expecting good things or bad things. I was in submission mode. I knew the Lord to be sovereign and that he would just do what he would do. This was not me being resolved to trust. I was perhaps afraid to pray expectantly, but my friends and family did a lot of praying. And when we found out the results of Ben's MRI, doctors at the hospital all the way up to the chief of staff came and talked to us. The images of Ben's brain show no signs whatsoever of a hypoxic loss of oxygen event. His brain was listed as, quote, normal. We were astonished. As I retell this, I'm still astonished. The doctors were astonished, especially the ones who had been in the OR. This is another one of those moments that was more likely to go the other way. It was a true miracle. When a doctor who has been delivering babies for a lifetime refers to your baby as Lazarus, you know something extraordinary has happened. So we were grateful to God again, first for saving Ben and now for these results. I never want to disqualify the fact that Ben's MRI is normal. It is a very big deal. The MRI conversation, unfortunately, became another one of those moments where there was a catch. Your baby's pinked up, but we think his brain is injured. Your baby's MRI is normal, but MRIs don't always show everything. Sometimes there is injury on a deeper level. We were told not to put all our eggs in the MRI basket, so to speak. We were again told to wait and see. It wasn't long before I began to back away from that piece I spoke of. When I realized we weren't going to leave that hospital and never look back, and that these unknowns would always linger, I felt very low. I was not up for that. I said, Father, you know I do not do well in this type of scenario. I just wanted to accept that what had happened was awful, but that our baby had checked out okay, and I wanted to throw a big old praise party and move on. I did not want to wait and see. Well, this was 2019. We all know that as the year of the unknown. It was the year when Queen Elsa first belted out her song about going into the unknown. (laughs) It is the year that gave us COVID-19. Hello, unknown. So our story fits in pretty well. This is where my head was at. You're telling me at every developmental stage, which there are many in a child's life, something could just pop up brain-wise. Ben could just have a seizure one day, or his development could stall. It felt like there was always a catch. I had trouble fully trusting the Lord and fully praising the Lord because I felt like my story was TBD. Eventually, we got to bring our baby home. Our people did everything for us for a while. Food was flowing. There were whole spreadsheets dedicated to getting our other three kids where they needed to be. Folks were so thrilled with our miracle, and they were right to be. Early on, I wanted to spout off all the things that they didn't know, and I wanted to tell them the menu of possible problems we'd been handed, and I wanted to justify my worry and anxiety. I really wanted to say, please, share this burden with me. And here I was calling this miracle a burden. I began to ask, what is wrong with me? 
there was a lot of shame and guilt. Drew approached this very pragmatically. We had been enrolled in great programs for at-risk children, and his doctors kept a close watch. Drew knew we were doing everything we could do with the information we had, and that was good enough for him. But I struggled. There was one instance when we had to put Ben back in the hospital. Ultimately, it was because I became convinced he was having seizures. After all, I'd been counseled on how to spot them, and as soon as we weaned him off the anti-seizure medication, he started acting different. I still have 20 videos to prove it. And so we put him in the hospital, and they didn't find anything. Nothing. This was not a time when I jumped for joy. I was so confused. There was a lot of shame. Even Drew didn't see what I saw. I was Ben's mom. What was I seeing that wasn't actually there? That was hard. And of course, I felt guilty for calling this miracle situation hard. So this cycle lasted for years, really. And I came to discover this was where the Lord put me on purpose. I was very uncomfortable. And he knew it. And he had put me smack dab in the middle of it. I so desperately wanted to be a good steward of our miracle and to be grateful, but I didn't know how to proceed mentally or spiritually. I was trying to climb out of what I was neck deep in instead of having a seat and staying a while. Then here comes COVID. So have a seat, stay a while. In March 2020, I was heartbroken to cancel Ben's first birthday party due to COVID. I just knew that during the sweet, sunshiny moments of that perfect party, the cloud would lift and I would cease to struggle with this. And it didn't happen. Instead, now I can say I think the Lord ordered something even better. You've seen the drive-by birthday celebrations. Well, I'm pretty sure Ben's was the very first of the pandemic. (laughs) 24 cars drove by our house on his first birthday. And those who had played a part then were here now, waving and smiling. It was like the credits were rolling. This was during full-on lockdown. There was literally nothing else to do but to come on over and praise God for what he had done for Ben. And he deserved all that glory and praise. I cried and cried because for people to remember a year later and to be in solidarity with us over Ben was the truest gift. The Lord really got my attention as COVID was gearing up. And he said, we've got to communicate more because your brain is so full of things and so full of thoughts. I was studying the Bible regularly, strong faith, but my communication time with him was all over the map. And he said, nope. That's not going to cut it. Drew laughs at me because I'm sure there's an app for this, but I was cleaning out a closet one day and found an old plug timer. You plug a lamp into it and the lamp will cut on whenever you want it to. I didn't hear a voice from above, but I knew when I found this that I was to plug it into my wall and that my lamp was going to wake me up every morning and I would spend time with the Lord regularly from then on. And so I did it every morning. Click. You could say I literally saw the light. (laughs) He just spoke to me a lot after that. He said, Katie, you have to stop trying to grade what I've done in Ben's life. Ouch. Whether or not he will develop problems from his brain trauma, that doesn't make 
or break the miracle. You need to lean into this, lean into me, and learn from me. Lean and learn, lean and learn. He didn't shame me for my failings. He knows the fallen state of my heart and mind and it's as if he said, nothing is wrong with you. But he was calling me to a more restful approach. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Ben began growing and meeting milestones, began to walk, began to talk. Obviously, those things lightened the load of the unknown quite a bit. Some other verses that really spoke to me, again in 1 Peter chapter 1, you have been grieved by varied trials. And then over in chapter 4, it talks about being good stewards of God's varied grace. And when I put together that we all have various trials, but he intentionally varies his grace to meet us individually, it comforted me beyond measure. I felt truly understood. I thought maybe I'm not so much to be a steward of this miracle, but of this grace. Another discomfort the Lord allowed in my life was a sweeping perspective shift. I have a big community of family and friends, and many of us have prayed for miracles and not gotten them. When it comes to birth trauma and brain trauma, many mamas have faced loss. Many children have faced lifelong injury. These things affect some of my closest friends. The Lord did not let me be oblivious to these truths. It was and remains challenging. I can't begin to guess why the Lord redeemed Ben's earthly life and why he restored Ben's brain health. I can only submit and praise him for what he did do. You would think that every day I would shout, from the rooftops what we came through. But with the level of hurt not far from my own doorstep, it's complicated. And the Lord has been so kind to gently walk me through that discomfort and to spur me on to minister to those who are hurting, even as they have ministered to me. It is an incredible exchange that only He could orchestrate. One thing I wanted to share before I wrap up is how the Lord re-revealed the gospel to me. Ben's birth is such a rich picture. Can you believe that Ben was due on Easter Sunday? What a connection. Not at all a coincidence. Obviously, my son is not the Messiah. Just just ask his preschool teachers. But there are so many themes that are really neat. I think of myself lying in that OR under anesthesia. Couldn't save myself. Didn't even know we needed saving. And that's us without Jesus. We're all in that helpless place, headed for death. Don't even know it. And he revives, gives new breath and new life, heals to the utmost. I also felt like Jesus let me in on a real treasure of truth. He whispered it slowly over weeks, months, and years now. Yes, Ben's life is a miracle. But life on this earth isn't the ultimate goal. The best miracle is coming, and that's new life in eternity with Him. In Scripture, Jesus' miracles always point to a greater truth. Far be it from me to miss the greater truth found in my earthly miracle. 
by the way, I survived too. <laughs> I'm here. I'm physically healed. And the Lord is actively healing the shame, guilt, and ingratitude I felt over the last few years. I would have never guessed that being the recipient of a miracle would usher in so much baggage. But the Lord despises my guilt and he despises my shame. Hebrews 12.2 says he went to the cross to rid my life of those things and to redeem it. There is much of my story that needs redeeming. The memories of the trauma. Wow. Difficult. The never will be's. Never got to birth another baby the way I wanted. I will never have any more babies again. It was hard on all of us, but I know the Lord rewrites the whole story one day. Truly, he has already begun rewriting it. Ben is doing incredibly well and is on track in every way. He has some mild issues that his therapist regularly attend to. We still see a specialist here and there. We have an appointment this coming Monday. I can't tell you what the future will hold, but the outlook is beyond positive. Ben's had a lot of prayers, a lot of therapy. And even though his mama looked back quite often, Ben never looked back and likely never will. I will be interested to hear how he speaks about his birth one day, but for now, I just imagine him as a 16-year-old kid saying, Mom, please, stop talking about your uterus every time time I have a birthday. (laughs) To To end, I wanted to share that the sweet nurse God sent who I treasure so much texted me recently to let me know that she was having a baby boy. And because of how the Lord responded to her prayers in an OR on March 28th, 2019, she named her son Ben. I love that. Our story goes on. It's truly larger than this life. It's a story of an amazing miracle, of God's good timing, of his people stepping up and rallying around. It's a story of an incapable mama who tried to handle everything and fell flat. It's a story of a mama who needed the Lord to intervene and heal her mind with his good grace. It's even an important story of greater truths and gospel promises. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. No matter what our circumstances are, he can perfect our peace. We can try, we can Google, we can obsess, we can turn it over in our minds all day long. If I just knew what's going on deep in Ben's brain, I'd have peace. If I just knew why my brain is so out of sorts, I'd have peace. No, only Jesus can perfect the peace because he is the peace. I know it, don't always live it, but I know it, and I know him better than I did before. Father, continue to heal. Give me a mind full of trust and peace. To you be the glory for my brain story. 
Katie ended her story by referencing Isaiah 26.3, and it really is just one of my favorite verses because it speaks on the importance of our thoughts and where we're placing our thoughts. And she said there at the end, you know, that only Jesus can give us peace. And that's why it is so important for us to take our thoughts captive to Christ and to line everything that we're thinking in our minds up against His Word, and then He will give us that peace. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what He did for her. You know, Mm -hmm. He took away any guilt that she felt about not resting in the miracle of Ben's birth and just gave her that peace and gave her that comfort and released the anxiety that she was having over that. You know, I can really relate exactly to everything you just said, but also Mm -hmm. to Katie's story, because if you've been a longtime listener, you know that I have our daughter Mm -hmm. has an orthopedic need and we've done lots of surgeries over the years. And I mean, the the medical aspect of it is incredible, and God has moved in <laughs> tremendous ways. But people always say, she's such a miracle, and I get where Katie came from, because I go, yes, she is. Mm-hmm. But the day-to-day can be really hard. Right. The ongoing PT, the this and the that, and the x-rays, and the, you know, and how Katie was talking about her son, just hitting all of those milestones mm-hmm. and being uncertain, you can very much catch yourself dwelling on the day to day instead of thanking him for the mm-hmm. miracle. And while it's okay to do that, mm-hmm. it is listen, I've been to a lot of counseling. It is okay, <laughs> okay. to feel the hard. Um at the same time, it is thanking the Lord for mm-hmm. what he's done. Well I think it also references back to what she said in her story about being being in the present and not being so worried about the future yes. and what you know what's coming next and is he going to make this next right. milestone. Which is mm-hmm. what we do as moms. Absolutely. Yeah, we're always I, ahead of our kids. We're always yeah. anticipating Yes. What's going to happen? I say that first to myself all the time. Today has enough worries of its own. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about tomorrow. Because if I start looking at our next surgery, I feel my panic rise. That's right. (laughs) Right. That's right. And then the verses in First Peter, where you know God does give us various trials, but He gives us the grace we need. My grace Mm -hmm. is sufficient Mm -hmm. for exactly what you need in that moment. It really spoke to me that in the middle of the chaotic delivery room, like she's <laughs> she's on the verge of life and death. She knows that her child is pretty mm-hmm. much in danger, mm-hmm. that she says, you know, no matter what, I will praise you. Mm-hmm. And that she really relied on that former trauma experience to just, I love how she called it a place of confidence yeah. in the Lord. Yeah. Was she fearful? Yes. But she could call out and just say, God, I know you're here. I know you're in the details. Mm-hmm. And from that, she was able to, to claim that confidence. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself in this story today where you maybe have experienced an incredible miracle and yet are living in a a difficult day-to-day life, put away the shame, Mm -hmm. put away Mm -hmm. the guilt. It's okay to have a bad day. Be encouraged through Katie's story and her experience that if he has shown up for Katie in this way, if he's shown up for me in this way, he will show up for you in this way. Thanks for listening. We love when you share our stories with your friends. If you know someone that needs this hope and encouragement today, pass this story along and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.